Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Alright Stuart, welcome to the podcast. So I've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to ask you about Great Escape Games. We're going to talk about getting your army in White Dwarf back in the day. We're going to talk about winning the World Championship at Warhammer in 99. Managing a Games Workshop store. We've got all that to come. Loads of good stuff. So are you excited? Oh, I've got to, I've got to search my, my memory quite quite intensively, it sounds like. <laughs> We've got the wires plugged into your brain to pull it out. So, um, but no, it's, it's always nice to start these conversations with the old, uh, the old origin mm. story. So, tell me a bit about, uh, or t- well, tell us about encountering the hobby for the first time. Well, well, um, it was. I grew up in Canada, uh, and I was, I think, I was about twelve years old, and I can't remember the the name of the local hobby store. Well, I say it's local. It was about forty miles away. It was in a, a city called Saint Catharines. Uh, and and I happened to be in there. It was an early evening, uh, and I saw saw these fellows playing there, playing a Napoleonic war game. They were using um, one of the box game rule sets, uh, Napoleon's Battles, I think it's called, like an Avalon Hill game, that sort of thing. But they were used to playing it with miniatures. Uh, and my, I think my, my nostalgia uh, paints a, a, a rather more luscious picture. Of, of the gaming table and the painted miniatures. Uh, I don't think, I think maybe now if I looked at those same painted miniatures and that gaming table uh, that I saw as a 12-year-old, I probably wouldn't be quite as impressed now, but I was impressed enough as a 12-year-old with the ranks of painted soldiers uh, and the idea of commanding, you know, having this sort of tabletop gaming experience, uh, which I was aware of but hadn't been involved in. Uh, it just it, it just captured me the the visual aspect of it um uh, and the kind of it was the you know we all know what it's like as hobbyists it's the researching and and painting and and putting together our forces is is 90% of our hobby time the the gaming side of it's a, a small fraction of a, of hobby time for most of us uh yeah yeah as a 12 year old i was i was uh i was really enchanted by the sort of the sort of dedication this would involve, this would this would require, uh, and the kind of spectacle that you can get. There's there's nothing like uh, painted toy soldiers on a on a, on a model scape on a tablescape. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. Nothing nothing quite comes up to it. Uh, I've I've tried computer games before. I've tried computer games where you have this sort of gaming, and and it just doesn't work for me. Um, and it's not that I'm a particularly visual person. Uh, I don't think I am. Uh, but I, I just think I, I love the um, the way it absor- it, it, it's totally absorbing. Uh, you can't you can't put wargaming down and pick it up again, really. If we're honest, um, I think uh, I, I've been a, a wargamer now since probably about the age of twelve, uh, and. And despite having the occasional tiny break from it, um, and, and maybe putting it on the back burner for a, for a while, it, it never really leaves you. And and when you're in wargaming, when you're full in wargaming, it's uh, I, I I I think I'd even say it, it's definitive. You know, you might say you know my name is so and so. I am I, I'm a wargamer. It, you know, it defines who you are to a degree because of its the amount of dedication it, it involves. Uh, I, I think from from there, I, I I quickly quickly found fantasy wargaming because because I was a young teenager and we were into role playing games, uh, but and we were into miniatures, uh, but wargaming wasn't something we'd experienced yet in those early teenage years, uh, and and because we were all playing fantasy role-playing games naturally, whereas my inclination is historical wargaming. Uh, naturally, your, uh, fantasy wargaming's you know, uh, so much more popular and so much more accessible, uh, especially at that time. Uh, uh, even at that time, I was at the, I was at the dawn of, uh, of fantasy wargaming, I think. I can't remember which came first, Warhammer or Chainmail. 
Chainmail, I think, is early 80s. Um, I think Warhammer's around the same. I, I, I don't know which came first, but for me, Chainmail came first. And so we would play on living rooms, living room floors, and we'd set out whole villages and, uh, uh, you know, very expansive battlefields uh, to play Chainmail. Uh, and, and those were those were great uh, those were great uh, introductions to wargaming and to this sort of hobby and it and it's something I've always reached back reached back for and I remember one time at Games Workshop uh, I was at Games Workshop for about nine years I joined as a store manager uh, and I ended up being in the um, in the trade sales team I was a senior manager in the trade sales team uh, and I recall along the way when I was a manager. The Games Workshop held this event uh, that was that was just for for Games Workshop staff up at the head office um, in the gaming hall. Uh, it was called Little Wars, and it was just Games Workshop staff putting on non Games Workshop miniature games. There wasn't a Games Workshop game there. The hall was full of games, most of them historical. Uh, and I fondly, really fondly, remember that weekend because. See, I was initiated by then, and by the time I was at Games Workshop for a couple of years and playing, obviously I was playing the Games Workshop games, but very quickly my my eye found War Games Foundry and other companies that were making historical miniatures, and I very quickly went that way, uh, uh, whilst maintaining the interest in the in the Games Workshop side of things. Uh, but when I went to Little Wars and saw so many historical games, I, I played. Uh, I played Warhammer Ancient Battles with the Perrys uh, at that event. Uh, I played with, oh, God, I, I, I can't remember his name. It may come to me. With another sculptor, uh, I played a Vietnam game. We played a Vietnam game uh, using homebrewed rules. I played a load of historical games, and it just, it, it really, uh, really set my trajectory for wargaming. So all of my wargaming from then, Really, I was really I, only interested in historical gaming. Um, and it's ironic. It's kind of ironic that it was partway through my Games Workshop, nine-year Games Workshop career, that it was it was a Games Workshop event that, that totally took me away <laughs> from fantasy wargaming into historical wargaming. Uh so, so that really, I, I mean, I, that, that that kind of, I, I think that's kind of an overview of 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 how my wargaming, uh, my wargaming career. Do we have wargaming careers? Sort of, don't we? Uh, that's how my wargaming careers developed, and and I think since since I got that historical, uh, that massive dose of historical wargaming virus from that little wars event. Uh, it just propelled me, and I just th thought, uh, you know, Imperial Guard's not for me anymore. Tomb Kings ain't for me anymore. It's really I was following on uh, on Greek hoplites and and British paratroopers. Mm. <laughs> but I, w I want to jump back a wee bit to the period between you being sort of twelve and you know mm. having a career in the the industry. But just on the little wars thing, I had no idea about that. So was that him? Um, did they run that every year, or was this a one-off? Oh, I, 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 I don't. I think it was a one-off. Um, they may have done it again, or may not. It, certainly, uh, certainly, it was not a regular thing. It was very, very rare. I mm -hmm. think it was possibly a one-off. Why do you uh, think they did it? Just the staff wanted I, I, it. I, I know why they did it. Uh, they did it because um, when you first discovered wargaming, you were filled. You were you were presented with a vista that you'd never seen before. If you try to grasp and harness that that emotion that you felt, that wonder that you felt at your first experiences with wargame, wargaming, both on the miniature side, the scenery side, and playing the game, because those first wargames that almost everybody played uh, were, were with other people who knew about them, and you were sort of a guest, and you were being shown how the wargame works. And you were discovering it, and you didn't know how it worked, and it was kind of wondrous because you were you were facing against a, a huge, ranked mass of orcs, and you had your your heavy 
heavy cavalry or whatever, you know, whatever unit you had, you had, you had a French old guard marching towards you and, and you're just, you're just forming up. Whatever it was, you didn't know how the war game worked. You were just immersed in the experience. You were trying to imagine what you would what you would do. Uh, how would you you would react if you were the cavalry uh, getting ready uh, to charge the orcs marching in, or, or whatever it was. You didn't know what dice rolls you needed. You didn't know how the mechanisms worked, and you had this wonder. It was it was absolute. Uh, immersive wonderment. It was. It was kind of like being. I imagine that's what it would be like. Or, you know, when I when I remember this experience, I imagine that's what it would be like if adult me was was able to be immersed in one of those full alternate reality experience. You know, the headset experience. You know, if the technology was really good. You know how you see on movies where the technology is really good, and the people say, "Oh, it's like I was really there." You know, imagine that kind of experience. I mean, we can't have that now because the technology doesn't quite yet exist. But I'm saying that that's that's how I felt. Um, that's how I remember feeling when I was a little boy, and that's what I think the Little Wars event wanted to try and impart upon the Games Workshop staff it had invited to the event. Because what that does is it fills you with that that childlike immersion and enthusiasm, which. The game, Games Workshop wanted us to harness and take back to our stores, take back to our departments, so that we could we could just enthuse about wargaming and 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 get a sense of of how precious wargaming was to our childlike selves. Uh, because I think I think that's what it evokes. Uh, that memory evokes a childhood fascination with it, and and I just think that was wonderful. Uh, it was it was a very good event for Games Workshop to run. Uh, I really praised them for running that event. I totally, I so enjoyed the event. Uh, and but I can see why they want, might not want to do more because, you know, I defected. I was gone then. Uh, it was historical all the way. Uh, and and Games Workshop can be a little bit. I I know Games Workshop wouldn't hold an event of that sort now, because of course, I mean they're they're a business. Of course they're gonna. They want. They don't. They don't want to uh, promote their competitors, no matter how small and insignificant we are in comparison. Um, if you if you're talking about other war games manufacturers and and companies, generally, I mean, really, the vast majority of us uh, don't even register as existing uh, on the Games Workshop scale because they're a, they're a global corporation. So so I can understand why they wouldn't do it again. But I think at that point they wanted to to infuse staff. They really wanted it to be a staff-focused day. It was a great idea, great idea. Going back then to being uh, a 12-year-old kid playing chainmail on your, your living room floor, how do you how do you go from that point to actually working for Games Workshop? What was the story there? Um, I, I, I was working uh, in the um, uh, late 90s. I was working in a like a supermarket environment. Uh, I was being paid a lot of money. Uh, um, when I was 24, I was on 35 grand a year. Uh, uh, that's 20 years ago, nearly. Um, but I was, I was working, I was working 80 hours a week. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know what they're like at Tesco level. The company I worked for wasn't as big as that, but nowhere near. Uh, but my experience of of working in supermarket management is that you work to death and at, and at some point i just said you know what no i'm not doing it anymore i'm done i'm done uh, and i took i went and uh, had an interview with games workshop they offered me the job it was for ha- it was for less than half the pay that i was on they offered me less than half the pay and i took it uh i i think so so I, I, it was that opportunity. That's the reason that, especially in the retail uh, sector, that staff go and join them now. I mean, why wouldn't you? If you're a war gamer, well, it would be a natural place to go, wouldn't it? Uh, I, and I suppose that lots of war gamers, when they're young, would love to work for Games Workshop. Uh, I, I think as you're older, obviously, there are different factors. But yeah, I was pretty young. I was pretty young. I, I was different in that I was really well paid in my previous job, but I was overworked and I just said, I'm done. I'm, I've had enough of it. Uh, and, you know, you know, some t- money's, 
you know, money's a tool, really. I'm not really a, a, a money enthusiast. I see it more as a tool. Uh, so it's a lifestyle choice. And do you know what? I loved it. I really loved being a, a Games Workshop store manager. Uh, I've got a lot of stories. I've got tons of stories about uh, the the good side of working for Games Workshop. And I've got a ton of stories about the bad side of working for Games Workshop. There are those as well. But I had my nine years there. Uh, I don't. I look back at it quite fondly. I think the last year or so was the only uh, disappointing year. I, I mean, that led to uh, why I decided to leave. But overall, it was a really positive experience. Um, so were you straight in as a manager then, a store manager? Yeah, was yeah, yeah, straight. Well, it's because I was, a, I, I came from, a, you know, I was a, a, a supermarket store manager and I approached Games Workshop and I said, hey, I'd like to apply to be one of your retail managers. Um, uh, and they gave me an interview on that basis and said, okay. Uh, but I, I went through all the same stuff that, like a, a, a retail store manager will go through um, now, so I went through the whole training thing, which was which was which was quite interesting and fun, and and some of it was of a, a lot of it was of a very high quality. There was some really high quality uh, staff training at Games Workshop um, uh, in retail. Uh, How many uh, staff and, did you have at the shop? Well, oh, that was um, I was a training store. Um, one of your one of your listeners, John Barber, uh, was was a trainee manager at at, at my store, uh, Cardiff. I joined initially, uh, and I'd done. I think I did my training in Newport, and then I was moved off to Swindon, uh, and I stayed at Swindon's store for just a, 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 a wee while, and then Cardiff came up, and because I was, I mean, I was I was previously living in in South Wales. I thought, oh, well, this is a, a great opportunity. It's a bigger store. It had it had a little pay rise attached to it. So of course, I jumped uh, to go and take that store, and and it was really successful. You know, it was a failing store at the time, and then I got in, and I and, and we turned it around. There were some great staff there. Um, Damien and Pokey were the the two full time staff, and they were magnificent. Absolutely delight to work with. And then we we would take on eventually, you know, people would notice and come and see what we were doing and say, you know, you're, you're doing a really great job here. We want to we want you to show the other training the training managers what you're doing. And I became a training store, uh, and and we a loads of training managers went through and uh, and John Barber was one, and and I had a great time with. Uh, with being a training store, I mean, partly because you got a staff member for free. So it, Cardiff was a big store and had two full-time staff member and I think members, and I think we had like three or four part-timers. Uh, and and uh, if you were a training store, you got a trainee manager as well for free. It w didn't come out of your hours allocation. So, of course, you had to train them, but you also got them to do stuff as well, of course. And so it was, it was you know having a lot of staff uh, in comparison to other stores was glorious because I didn't I didn't have to do I I got to plan and train, um, which is what I like to do, uh, uh, and and it, well it, it it meant that it meant also that I had a great store because most of the trainee managers were were good I mean John was especially good John was an excellent. He was excellent when, uh, and there was Dan as well. Uh, there were a few that were really, really good, um, and, and a lot of really great people as well. Some of the part timers that came through and went on to do different and great things. Some of them went on through Games Workshop. Uh, the trainees, you know, obviously went on to become managers. Some of the part time staff also went on to go and apply for jobs uh, with, you know, in different departments in Games Workshop. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. We had a lot, we had quite a lot of people, but we always had a core of. It was always the core of three of us: me and uh, my two full-time staff, uh, Damien and Pokey. And actually, to be fair, uh, Mike Weatherhead, who was one of the key part-timers, and Mike Weatherhead was probably the most important part-timer I've ever worked with because uh, he was a tea fanatic as well, uh, and so. I didn't even have to ask. I was just when my when my teacup was empty, Mike would be off and 
another one would be there within about two minutes. Glorious. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what did a typical day look like then from, you know, getting in in the morning to how the day unfolded? And, you know, can you talk us through that? Um, well, in Games Workshop stores, I wonder if they're the same now because uh, it, it's actually – it's actually a delight running a Games Workshop store because, see, if you if you juxtapose running a Games Workshop store with running your own gaming store, so an independent one, it's completely different. The Games Workshop managers, uh, they they can concentrate on planning and training. That's all they have to do. They don't have to worry about money at all. I, of course, they have financial targets and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, but they don't have to worry about things like having stock. They don't have to worry about paying the rent. They don't have to worry about uh, the electricity supplier or, or demands from the landlord. Uh, they don't have to worry about any of that. All they have to worry about is making sure that their their staff are running intro games uh, and uh, and making sure that they've got like half term gaming planned or whatever they do now. I don't know. Do they still have games nights? Have you been? When was the last time you were in a games workshop store? Couple of years ago, um, I don't, I don't play or buy the new stuff, so I've no real reason yeah. to go in. I, I, I think it must be, must be twenty for me. I've twenty years since I've been in one. Yeah, must be. Um, I left Games Workshop twenty years ago, uh, and I don't think I've been in. I think I've been in one once in twenty years. So I don't know what they do now. I don't know if they hold all those events. I don't know what the training's like in Games Workshop now. But we do a lot of training um, and we do a lot of painting as well and terrain making. That was, that was great. That was another, see, one of the best things about being in Cardiff is because the head office is in Nottingham and Cardiff's near like three hours away. So nobody ever came. And plus there was the bridge toll. There was a massive bridge toll at the time. Nobody ever came to Cardiff. It was so rare that they'd come. So we, we kind of got left on our own. And we could mess around a bit. So we did a lot of terrain making. We, like for games day, there was one games day where uh, I helped the area manager. It was a few of us. It was like me, the area manager, and another guy. And we'd meet at the Newport store because the Newport store had a big basement where you could do loads of terrain making. And we, we built this great giant uh, Imperial Guard tank factory. The, the, I mean, it was it was – it was about five foot tall. It was it was probably ten foot long, three foot wide. Uh, it was absolutely enormous. It was ridiculous. It was for games day, um, and, and and that's the kind of thing you got to get up to when when you're, you know, when you're remote, when you're successful, when you're like a training manager. Uh, so yeah, it was loads of fun as well. I mean, I can't I can't fault. I can't really fault much to do with Games Workshop retail. Uh, it was it was an extraordinary experience. John tells me you got uh, at least was it an army or two armies, a couple of armies in White Dwarf. Was that related to that Games Day project, or was that something else? Oh, I think it's I think it's sometimes it's just like sometimes people will come to your store and they'll say they'll be from head office and they'll say, "Oh, that's nice," or. You'll know somebody at head office or they'll put a call out for for things for, or oh, does anybody have this sort of painted army? And, I, and on one was a tournament. I'd been to a tournament at Games Workshop HQ. I think it was a staff tournament. Um, and I think that was an Imperial Guard army and it had loads of converted tanks. It had about like 30 vehicles in it. All the squads had their own Chimera transports. And they were all customized because like I was a I was a historical war gamer as well. And and Imperial Guard are obviously the best army for historical war gamers uh in within the science fiction area uh, because because it's got tanks. Uh and they all look like they all look like uh, real tanks. Um and so I had a massive Imperial Guard army that appeared in there. And I, I think the other one was a dark elf army that was just it was just beautifully painted. It was painted in a nice, simple color scheme, a slightly different color scheme, but it was just really dark and and quite beautiful and dark. Uh, 
Uh, and and I can, yeah, I can't quite remember. I, I think the Dark Elf Army, actually, I think that one went in a Warhammer rulebook. Have you still got pictures of them? Have you still got the armies? I've still got I've still got one of the armies. I've still got the Dark Elf Army. Yes. Yeah, so, so if anybody if anybody sees a Dark Elf Army from a a, a very uh, you know twenty years ago or more Warhammer edition and wants to buy it, g- give me a call. I probably still got it somewhere. What happened to the other army? Sold it. Uh, Sold it. it in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. I just had a period. I had a period. So I left Games Workshop in 2004, I think it was, uh, 2004, 2005. Uh, and I went, I went to one interview to go and t- for a job. <laughs> and I hated the interview. I hated the sound of the job. And I sat in my car afterwards and I said, said to myself, no, nah, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this. Uh, I've been playing with toy soldiers for nine years and, and kind of, I mean, we did, we worked hard. And when I was in trade, I'm, I, I mean, we made games workshop a lot of money. Uh, we were really good in, in, in games workshop trade sales. We turned it around. There was a group of us that turned it around. Uh, uh, and so, so we were serious and hardworking, but I, I thought at that time, do you know what? I've been able to be around toy soldiers for, for, nine years and be really successful uh uh, at it as well so no i'm not going to get a job i'm going to continue doing this this is what i want to do uh and i had i had a talk to uh a fellow uh, ex he was an ex-employee at that time from uk trade sales and uh and he was facing a he was leaving work as well and we just said you know what Let's do some toy soldier stuff. We'll do it. We can do it. Um, and so we did. Um, I, I take it that leads into the birth of Great Escape. Well, it seems like a natural segue. <laughs> I just I have a few more things to pick up on just before we move on, if that's yes. okay. Um, yes. One of the things was, uh, it comes up a lot, you know, when folk talk about going into Games Workshop back in the day, the, the enthusiasm of staff. You know, some folk loved it. Some folk found it a bit overpowered. And how do how do you kind of walk that tightrope to make sure that you're being really welcoming and enthusiastic, but also not to the point where you're kind of suffocating folk? I, I was I was on the side of the knot. I'm I'm an introvert, uh, and I, I think Games Workshop, the the Games Workshop model, uh, really suits extroverted people. Because the whole uh, introducing people to wargaming thing, the Games Workshop way of doing that is to be very enthusiastic, uh, and I uh, and you need people who are able to do that naturally. Uh, I can't. Uh, uh, I'm not very good at that. It's not. It's not one of my skills. Uh, and I also appreciated. I also appreciated that that there are people like me who who don't want to be enthused at. Maybe maybe there are people that are a little more technical and they're interested in the technical aspect of it. There are other, there are people that are attracted to it for different reasons, and that's why I think that's why. See that I think that's why the Games Workshop default. If you want to package it up and give people a an off the shelf follow this mes- method and you'll be successful, I think their way is not is clever. It, it, the Enthuse way is clever, but it it's not me, and it wasn't. It wasn't my store at the, at the time. And I think that's why, because the Cardiff store was like mega successful. But I think that's because we could we could strike a balance. There are some times where you need to infuse and be like that. So I'd deploy the staff member who was there for that. There were other times where you did, needed a different approach. So I'd deploy this person or, you know, and then there's other times, there would be things that I was particularly good at. You know, there would be a customer base that that I would be particular, particularly skilled at. It was about harnessing the sort of the skills of the people uh, that you worked with, uh, and and aiming conversations uh, and interactions at an appropriate level with the customer. That was always one of Games Workshop's key ideas: was that you always make the conversation appropriate to the customer. But sometimes there was the default enthuse. It was always the default enthuse. And I think, see, that would rub me up the wrong way now, 20 years ago, whenever. Uh, and I know that it rubs 
people up the wrong way. Uh, we didn't do it. Uh, we were smarter than that. Our question of the month for March 2024 is, what hobby-related thing have you recently changed your mind about? It could be to do with anything from collecting, building or painting, to mechanics, rule sets or content. I'd love to hear about a recent hobby U-turn in your life, and you could record your audio feedback to be played on a future episode by heading to bedroombattlefields.com slash voicemail. That's bedroombattlefields.com slash voicemail. And now back to the show. Uh, and I, I think I think the I think the smart the smart stores the stores that are that that, that know that lesson I, I think they're probably really cool. And I think you know we could walk in there and they wouldn't go, "Hey, which army are you collecting today?" Then that's sort of uh, irrit- irritating approach. <laughs> Yeah, taking the taking stuff out of your hands and putting other stuff in. No, you don't need that. You need this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just one final thing in the, the World of Games workshop. Did you win the World Warhammer Championship in 99? Yeah, it was, it was a staff one. It wasn't a, it's not Still? like an open competition. It was a staff competition. They were holding, I, I don't know how long they did it for. Uh, I went to two or three of them. Um and and they were great because they would get staff from all over the world. So you'd play people from games workshop departments around the world. It was wild. Uh, and I beat, oh, man, do you know what? I've forgotten his name. I've forgotten his name. The guy I beat uh, went to work for Flames for Battlefront Miniatures, Flames of War. His name escapes me. I, I do apologize in advance for your name escaping me. That's because I'm rubbish with names. It's nothing to do with the the gentleman I was playing. He was playing a lizard man army, and I was playing vampire counts. It's a vampire counts army. That vampire counts army was cool because, and I've still got that one uh, because it had a lot of zombies in it. And I'm I'm I used uh, the there was a range of citadel. Citadel did an early range of zombies. Uh, I think. It was, uh, I can't remember the sculptor. Somebody help me out here. Jez Goodwin, I think it may have been. I think Jez Goodwin was, was the sculptor. It was a range of zombies, a lot of sculpts, and they're just so good. They're really good sculpts. They're good now. Uh, and I think the, 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 the one that I remember the most is a zombie shuffling across with a crow on his shoulder, pecking at his brain. Uh, they were just lovely models, uh, and I played. I played with that with that army and won every game. Uh, and for it, I won a giant dwarven warhammer, a full size dwarven warhammer, uh, which I've still got. I still got that thing as well. Yeah, that was ace. So games Games Workshop did some really cool stuff for the staff as well. Uh, and, and I don't think they were as they were probably not as monstrous. I mean, again, again, they've done some bad things. They they weren't as monstrous as I think as as well. My experience—that's my experience of them. My experience of them is that they gave me a good opportunity. Um, I, I worked my guts out for them. Uh, I got to a pretty pretty good position in the company. And yeah, you know what? My last my I could let my last year there sour my nine year experience, but I don't think it would be fair. I don't think it would be fair to myself to do that. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a good experience. As we transition, then, like, what? Just final on that. What went wrong? If you don't mind talking about it, they brought people from Boots in, right? Yeah, that's what the went chemist. Wrong. Yeah, really. They brought in. A, they brought in a new managing director from from Boots, and he brought in his own people. Mm. He was a disaster for the company, and the people he brought in were a disaster. Hemorrhoid cream up on the racks and everything like that. It, it was, it was. Oh, oh, oh they, they, they just. I, I don't know why they were brought in. I, I don't know why it was just they were, they were. I, I think that Games Workshop was maybe. I, I don't know if it's worked since. I mean, I may have been proved wrong since, but I can just tell you my experience. Uh, it's that they wanted to corporatize Games Workshop too quickly. 
I think maybe if they've done that now, then they've maybe taken the right amount of time to do that. I, I don't know what they've done now. I'm not particularly interested in them now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, but at the time, I think they just went on this mad dash to corporatize. Uh, and I think maybe Lord of the Rings was part of it. I, I don't know how that, what role that played. I can't remember quite remember. I think Mark Wells came in just before Lord of the Rings. Uh, but the, but his leadership was was terrible. He was he didn't. Uh, I hesitate to say he didn't understand the culture, because I don't think that's particularly valid. I think maybe he just to try, tried to Im, employ a strategy with a workforce that didn't believe in his strategy, mm-hmm. and he didn't convince us of his strategy, and so. It turned out to be a. It turned it, it turned bad, uh, uh, and yeah, I just. I mean, there was a. I could say a lot more about the culture of Games Workshop, and a culture that I know still permeates through Games Workshop at the head office level. But I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to sully my experience with with anything that might sound bitter because I, I wasn't bitter about it i mean i i felt that it was the time for me to leave i th- i think that i think that maybe within i think it's a corporate structure and and games workshop is a corporation um let's not try to fool ourselves that it it doesn't value the profit line above everything else because it does because mm-hmm. it's a corporation. That's what corporations do. And I don't think I fe- felt I, I felt that I didn't fit in to that corporate structure because I got to a position where the next position that I took would mean that I was sort of fully integrated with a corporate structure and it doesn't fit me. I, I just don't fit that kind of thing. I'm a good middle level manager. I'm a good sort of project manager, middle-level manager type person within a corporate structure, higher than any, you know, even moving sideways from that, you know, it's time for me to go. And, and I realize that. I realize that now. Mm. Uh, I didn't quite grasp at the time. I was a little bit annoyed at the time. But I, I understand that now. Uh, and, and and so I think, I, think, I think it's fair to say that I learned, I mean, I learned plenty from Games Workshop. And, and then within a year, We'd launched a, a new company 19 years ago, and that company's still here. So I, I, I like to think that what I learned from Games Workshop plus what who I am myself and who I work with and you know who I work in partnership with, I think, I think that's been a, a really good – I mean, it's worked all right for me. I can't complain about that. So talk to us about the early days of Great Escape Games. What was the original vision and how has that kind of developed over the, the years? Oh, okay. Well, that has developed over the years. Uh, the, the, the first few years uh, were, were a struggle. Uh, it's really tough. It's a tough business. It was an especially tough business uh, in, the, in mid two, the mid-2000s. We started in 2005 and we really launched product we really launched in 2006 when we had product and and then of course the the economic the world economic system collapsed uh, uh, and we we struggled through that as well it's not it's not easy being a nascent com- company in a worldwide recession uh, but we did we made it through uh, and i think the first we actually did a couple of really good early things uh, we've got our first rule set was called Rules of Engagement, and it was for World War Two. And, and I know there's a lot of people still playing it. It's, we sold a few thousand copies, uh, and, and and that was really gratifying to have a, a rule set because that was our strategy. Our strategy was was to develop these World War Two rules and really be rules developers. Uh, it's somewhat it's somewhat evolved from that. But the, the, but that was the early stage. So we started with a with a one rule book and a small range of miniatures, which we 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 shared. We produced and licensed with a company called Bolt Action, 
uh, we'd been fans of Bolt Action and been painting and buying their miniatures for years and got to know them. A uh, couple of lovely guys. Um, uh, one of them still very active as a sculptor. Uh, and and in those early days, we 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 dealt with them, and we we basically got their miniatures produced on license, and we uh, sold them as rules of engagement platoons. Uh, we still sell those size platoons, the sort of two squads with a command group. So all of, of our platoon box sets in the Great Escape Game Stores are that sort of format, two squads with a command group. Uh, that's from the early days. And, and that went okay. That was that was okay. That was like making us a meager living. Uh, and, and we moved on and, and did some other stuff. But eventually we came to, uh, to uh, a, a sort of... A sort of a, a conversation, a series of conversations I had with my fellow director uh, and co-owner Mark Wheatley. Uh, we were we were just talking about about gaming and the sort of gaming that we did, and the sort of gaming that we could do as Great Escape Games that would branch out from World War Two. And so we naturally looked at gaming. I mean, we'd already looked at Ancients Gaming, which is my true love, my first true love, I should say, my first true love is Ancients Gaming. We'd we'd done a lot with that. And, and done done really well with the rule set, but what what Mark was proposing was to do something with miniatures and specifically to to have it as as a range of miniatures that was that was the game, uh, and it came through watching movies. We and and it was Western movies, and, and we'd watched. We'd, we're both Western fans. Mark's a movie fanatic. I grew up in. I'm, I'm from Canada, so so westerns are part of the, you know, obviously part of the culture. Uh, and we were we were just watching movies. There was a there was that really good resurgence. Remember in the late nineties, I think it's early to late nineties of Hollywood westerns. Uh, some great movies uh, and extended into the two thousands. And we watched one of those films, which uh, I think at the time wasn't very old, called Open Range. Uh, open range it's got robert duval uh kevin costner the cast is great story's great it's you know classic western territory uh have you seen open range no i don't think so no well that's homework for you at least you've got to everybody that's listening just go on youtube and put in something like final gunfight in open range we watched that and I, I turned to Mark and I said, I want to play that game. And, and that was the birth of Dead Man's Hand. You know, he was he was, he was was trying to convince me at the time. He was saying, I think we should do the Old West. And I was like, ooh, yeah, that's interesting. We'd, we'd played some Old West stuff before. You know, we, we both had a few, uh, a few cowboy characters painted up. Uh, and Games Workshop had their own. They did a, 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 a cowboy version of their Lord of the Rings game. Warhammer Historical did. It's called Legends of the Old West. And we played a bit of that uh, when we were at Games Workshop together. I, but but watching Open Range, I was like, oh, you've got me. I'm in. I'm totally in. We need to do we need to do the Old West. And we started talking about how what kind of game we'd want. And and it was all based around watching movies. We'd just watch loads of movies and uh <laughs> I think of all the genres, I mean, obviously, war movies are great. I mean, Western movies, westerns are not war movies. Uh, it's kind of it's it's kind of a different thing. It's it's funny that that, that all those westerns, uh, and the reality of the old west, although lawless, brutal, etc., isn't kind of romanticized. I, I use that word with qualification. You know, when you're watching a Western, the gunfights are brutal. It's beautifully choreographed. The action's great. And in the in the real Old West, the gunfight at okay, the OK Corral was the most famous battle, if you like, and it lasted 40 seconds. There's, you know, in, 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 in Westerns, there's far more, there are far more gunfights than there were in reality, you know, collectively. And again, with the caveat that it's a it was a lawless place, it was a, it's a crazy history. Uh, 
but we just wanted that cinematic version of the old west and and we, we were always when we developed the game we developed a game called dead man's hand which uh which is our it's our um it's what we're known for it's what we do the best we do old west uh, we do other stuff as well but we do old west that's what we do uh, and, we, and we just wanted it to be fun and cinematic. We didn't want it to be serious. We didn't want it to be, we, I mean, we didn't want it to be complicated, but we wanted it to be uh, the kind of game that that you discover as you play. So when you first play it, you think, okay. But then as you play it more, you start to, diver, you start to uh, discover its nuances. Uh, and and the different ways that you can play and it's all packaged it's all it's all done quite simply so the core of the guts of the rules are only a few pages like a, like 10 pages uh, which covers everything but it's those little nuances and it's the little combinations that you can do like do you do you duck back from this attack or do you play this card at a certain time you know are you going to are you going to risk putting your best guy around there to shoot up the enemy, uh, only to leave him exposed at the same time. Uh, so, so it's a wonderfully, really little, simple system to learn, but it's kind of elegant in the in the different things you can do with it. Well, it's it's uh, we 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 do it all in twenty eight mil scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that kind of emphasizes the that cinematic quality. So whenever I'm playing a whenever I'm playing a game, I mean, you know, the iconic Western scene. It's a street, uh, and and I love it's just I love the look of the the streets in the in the old West, uh, the the cl- kind of claustrophobia and the uh, and the muddy nature. It's funny that it in North America now you see streets laid out like that, sometimes with the same sort of buildings. But I love the little bits of scatter on the street, the horses on the hitches, uh, an empty wagon, barrels on the ground. It's that sort of, and that, again, that takes me back to that sort of Little Wars experience and the experiences of a 12-year-old going and seeing that first Napoleonic game. It's it's kind of like you're being, I, mean, I know it's not, but it's, you're kind of immersed in, in 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 the setting and the setting is important and we always wanted dead man's hand to be like that and wanted it to be really fun uh and 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 more hollywood than than serious uh it's a great game it's a really good game so i said i forgot forgot what the question was i'm sure there was a question (laughs) no just just talking about um you know a great escape and the games that you've got but yeah the the dead man's hand game uh, if i was playing you so would we have would we have both our wee factions how many guys each are we talking yeah so you you know it's t- it's typically seven seven characters aside and mm. uh when uh we've dead man's hand came out in 2000 2013 and uh obviously one of the reasons i came on to talk to you was about the kickstarter that's um the kickstarter starts in October the 26th and that's for dead man's hand redux which is if you like the second edition of dead man's hand uh, uh or, or more of an edition 1.5 because it's not really changed uh and and yeah it there eventually when we get round to to the middle of next year when we've released the rest of the factions we'll have 30 different factions for the old west so there's a plethora of stuff to choose from all of your sort of old west tropes uh and the types of uh, of gangs of ne'er-do-wells and 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 other peoples that you might see so we've got we've got factions from your classic outlaws uh, and lawmen up to pioneers uh, uh renegade indians who are you know westernized uh, so these west the the european equipment uh the seventh cavalry uh, even even some of the Australian influence from we've even got the Kelly Gang in their boilerplate armor uh, because again it's it's cinema it's cinematic we're not I don't want to hear that oh no there is in Australia it's 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 cinematic we're not taking this uh, immensely seriously so we really but we because we were really wanting to explore everything we could to, with the old West because we love we love westerns and we and we love the setting and we love. Uh, the the kind of things that we can do and create, 
uh, and and the idea of creating, you know, just exploring different types of people. Uh, it's, uh, I think the Hollywood the, the Hollywood version of the Old West is is an interesting cinematic version, but also the history of the Old West. I was I spent quite a bit of last year reading a lot of books about um, the the destruction of the 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 last of the the native Native American uh, tribes, the destruction uh, really of their culture, their independence, uh, ultimately the destruction of of, of a civilization. And so there's the there's the very serious things because the and, and, and the very serious aspects to that genre. Uh, that's that's one of the things that's always encapsulated my fashion, my my passion for historical wargaming because it's such an easy vehicle to learn history. Uh, I've got a particular, I've got a personal passion for social history, uh, and. Wargaming really, really allows and facilitates that. You know, you can look into the military history of particular conflicts, uh, but that inevitably leads to to the social history and the history of of nations, the history of our uh, civilization, the history of our entire world. Um, uh, and, and 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 I can kind of do that. That's that's what is beautiful about the work I do now. Uh, in great escape games because I can do that as part of my professional life. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I have to work. I work really hard. I have to do my taxes. Uh, I have to make sure the payroll goes through. I have to order stuff, all of that sort of stuff. But at the core of what, what I get to do and I'm really lucky to do is I get to contemplate uh, these, these genres, these parts of the world these histories and i also get to indulge my personal my personal passion for them uh, it's a very lucky position to be in but it's because of because people people like what we do uh and and i really appreciate that what's the plan with it the kickstarter now then well we we we've had this we had this edition of the first edition of dead man's hand was out for 10 years it's gone through eight print runs uh, and I think with all the feedback that we got, we we, dis, we we knew we could we could polish a gem. It's already a gem. Now it's going to be a highly polished gem. So uh, we've we've improved existing aspects of the rules. Fundamentally, nothing changes. A few of the cards in the game change to make them more in balance with the rest of the card deck. Uh, We've introduced, we've got some extra rules that we kind of maybe weren't complete with in the first edition. Uh, you know, stuff with like stagecoaches, civilians, uh, and and we've added a, a really fast campaign system, a, a kind of cat fast campaign system that you can pick up as a tournament. They can easily run as a tournament or an event, a sort of narrative event, uh, or you know that, that kind of gaming club type of narrative event as well mm. where you can play it over a few evenings uh and we really wanted to what we really wanted to do is because this is this is a really good game i really like it and we wanted to make sure it was more accessible and one of the see one of the issues with everything i've been talking about if there's been a, like a common thread that goes through it it's this it's this visual aspect of wargaming. And I love the idea. Obviously, in the Old West, it's the iconic town. And we wanted to give that. We wanted to be able to provide that for a much wider wargaming audience. Uh, we've, we've worked we worked with Foreground, and we continue to work with their parent company in producing uh, really good quality pre-painted MDF buildings. But the truth is you can't, you can't produce them on a large enough scale uh, to be able to uh, do what we wanted to do with it because we want we want to say to you know people like your listeners come and play this and we want to give them a box where they can put together their town out of plastic components in the box and then put together all their figures out of plastic components so at the heart of the kickstarter campaign is the dead man's hand box set uh, which contains plastic buildings plastic figures plastic scenery items your rules you know, it's a proper, it's a proper, dare I say, grown-up wargaming company product. Uh, 
I, and probably, I, I mean, I hope, I hope it marks really, you know, it, I hope we're presenting you with a product which is really intriguing and exciting because we've spent a lot of time, uh, we've spent, we've done, put a lot of resource and work into it. We know that people like playing it because we've been doing that for 10 years. And we think more people should know about it. Uh, and then, because I want to make more, I want to make more plastic buildings and I want to make loads more plastic soldiers. We've done, I mean, we've done three sets of plastic figures already. The, we're doing now the plastic buildings. We're planning more plastic figures next year. Uh, and I think the Old West just is a really exciting place to war game, especially because you can just do it as a, you know, it's not a huge investment in your skirmish war gaming is, is it? I think I think I I think I need skirmish wargaming as well as the kind of wargaming where you have to paint two hundred soldiers. I think you need a balance of it, and and I love to be able to concentrate. It's like a different type of painting, isn't it? So you've got a different, you know, because when you're painting when you're painting forty French Napoleonic line line infantry or a unit of thirty high elves, you've got there's, there's a different approach to when you're painting one character. Because I, I treat the dead man's hand, my dead man's hand characters as painting individual characters. And, you know, they've got names and they've got, they've got a life. Uh, so there's that, there's that aspect to it. And, and, I, and I love the idea of creating. I love the idea of that's the creation of that sort of setting and scenery to be very accessible and simple. And, and I hope loads of people, I hope loads of people will, will look uh, and 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 you know just have a look at what we're doing uh because um this is you know wargaming wargaming has to be about accessibility as well it has to be something that attracts more and more people because um like you i would like more and more opponents in my wargaming i'd like young people being brought in i'd like people from board gaming and other hobbies to be attracted by war gaming. Uh, and we've realized as a company that uh, plastic products are very accessible uh, and preferred by a wider war gaming public. They're, they're just, I mean, I'm kind of an old, a little bit old fashioned in that I've always preferred my metal models, but I mean, truthfully, the the majority of the public out there prefer the wargaming public, uh, prefer prefer plastic models, uh, and the only way that you can do, uh, the only way that you can make available to people Western towns in, is in plastic. I, it, it's just the truth. Well, you can't produce it in MDF or in resin or in in any, any other medium in the way that you can with the you know the the, the machine tooled injected plastic molds uh, and so so we believe in it we believe in uh, the old west as a as a genre that people should be playing so much that we've invested in uh in 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 the molding for for buildings uh, which i i mean i don't know of outside games workshop can you think of a company outside games workshop that's invested in not certainly not in the historical market they haven't but uh yeah, it's just it's just a really exciting project. So as as we approach the the end of our chat, then Stuart, where can the listener go to find out more about Dead Man's Hand and Great Escape Games and the Kickstarter and all that good stuff? I think GreatEscapeGames.co.uk has to be your first port of call. We are also on all of the social media things. Uh, Facebook is probably the most active. I can't remember the names of the other ones. What are they called? Twitter. Is it still called Twitter? You're asking the wrong person. I'm not on any social media. It's, it must change it to X, like I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? We're on X. Uh, but but yeah, if you just go to greatescapegames.co.uk and actually, if you're at any of the war game shows, uh, we we do do a few of those every year. We go to our next one is recon in Leeds, and then we're at uh, Warfare in Farnborough in November. Uh, 
we're obviously very approachable. Uh, but yeah, you can you can get us through the website, get us on the Facebook page, ask us questions. Um, but go and have a look because the Kickstarter campaign goes live on the 26th of October. Uh, I think if you search Dead Man's Hand Redux uh, on Kickstarter, you can find the preview page or you can get it through our website. Um, and that runs for a couple of weeks. And we're going to have the shiny, gigantic new lovely box sets out uh, and on your tabletops by April next year. April next year is the release date for Dead Man's Hand Redux. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please do share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to check out our Discord community of like-minded hobbyists, which you could find at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash Discord. It'd be great to see you in there.